Well, welcome to another episode of Open Mic. I'm Mike Morse, here with Kevin Dietz. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, Mike. How are you? Great. Lots to talk about today. Lots in the news about police brutality. And today's guest is Chris White, who's the director of the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality. Sounds like it's a volunteer organization. They don't get state funding. They don't get federal funding. They have one small fundraiser a year, but these this is a passion of love. It's a lot of hard work these days for this organization. And uh, I want to hear about the organization, and I want to hear this man's opinions on all this craziness going on in the news today. So let's bring on Chris White. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse, Detroit's top attorney. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. We are adapted, adapted, and change things up a little bit every year. Good morning. How are you all doing today? Good morning, Chris. Good. good. We're good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Nothing to complain about except the police brutality and the violation of human rights going on throughout the country. Other than that, there's not much to complain about. That is, yeah, that's easy. We'll solve that in this podcast today. <laughs> so for, before we get into your directorship at the Detroit Coalition, tell me about your background. What, I mean, what, what do you do when you're not doing that or what, what's your history? I've been involved in activism for uh, 36 years. I was involved in uh, several different organizations. We once had a think tank called the Institute for Public Policy and Educational Affairs. And, you know, we fought to make sure that there was no fee on Belle Isle. We fought to make a Coleman Young's birthday a municipal holiday in the city of Detroit to celebrate the third Monday of each May. I'm heavily involved in a movement to deal with uh, uh, mainstreaming of special education uh, children into the general ed curriculum. In addition to that, uh, you know, lots of other things. And I, I teach a couple of classes on political science and uh, business at a WC3. And, you know, I'm there whenever called upon and trying to make humanity better. And 36 years, I've seen some of the giants uh, leave. Uh, like Ron Scott and so many others, uh, great congressman John Conyers and so many others, uh, Eleanor Jositis, just so many great uh, warriors who fought very hard uh, for our region, our city to make it a better place. Great. So, you know, I read through some of your past interviews and you have several talking points and I want to talk about um, a few of them. And but but I think, Kevin, you think we should go, you know, jump into what happened in Atlanta and, and, and break that down, because that's all over the news right now with the Rayshard Brooks shooting and killing. Um, you think we should jump right into that, Kevin? Yeah, you know, I mean, Chris, uh, you guys have been you've been at this trying to fight against police brutality for decades. Um, but it's George Floyd death has really ignited this conversation to where everybody Everybody is talking about it, and uh, and and people are finally getting uh, to share their voice. Uh, it, but but some of it has become violent. So there's this whole um, you know uh, two different stories going on uh, as a result of what happened to George Floyd. Uh, what are, what are you seeing, and, and what are you seeing in Atlanta, in Minneapolis, in Seattle, in Detroit? I'm seeing a pushback in Atlanta from um, elements of the police department that aren't for the change. I'm seeing a mayor 
that's doing the best she can to eliminate that problem. Atlanta is where Detroit would have been probably about 25 years ago and even before that. So in Atlanta, that's a matter of the mayor is doing everything she can to make sure that the police aren't shooting individuals. And that creates the reaction that you get from uh, the citizens in Atlanta. In Seattle, that's a, a extreme radical group that is uh, taking on uh, police brutality their way. In Detroit, it's more along the lines of, um, you know, trying to educate the people, though we may not have the amount of shootings and things like that they have in other cities. Our concern here in Detroit is a managerial issue and more African-Americans on the police force. And are we getting what we paid for? Now that's the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality's position. Some groups may have a different position in that. But if you ask the overall person in the city of Detroit, they're more concerned about are the police coming to your house and things of that nature? Are we getting the services that we pay for? So you have different groups that are trying to fight police brutality different ways. Some, uh, to a degree, are counterproductive because if you're trying to get your point across to reform the police department, then you know you might, you know, you might want to try to find a way to do it where you can get more buy-in from the people. But I understand different groups are going to have different ways of fighting it. And the issue is we wouldn't be here but for the behavior of the police departments in these respective cities. Do you think Detroit has a unified voice? Does the country have a unified voice in what we're fighting for? Is there or are all these different fractions fighting for different things and confusing the message? Um, I think that the message, I think the objective is to have better uh, policing. I think that the situation is different based upon every city. And I think that's why you're having some of the reactions that you're having in different cities. In Detroit, they're not, you're not gonna have people burning down police stations and all of that because of the political PR sideshow that we have in our city has proven to be effective for the corporate structure and the mayor and the chief, but not uh, effective for the community when it comes to service. In Minnesota, you had several instances of police retired that led to the death of an individual. In Atlanta, you're having full pushback by the police department that's really actively still shooting and killing people. So I don't think you're going to have one unified voice. I don't think you're going to have one strategy. I think that it's a city by city uh, issue and the people of those cities are doing what they think is right. And I think that um, if you're in the elected leadership, these cities, you want to bring people to the table and try to deal with their challenges so that you can uh, fix the problems within your department. If you're the activist, you wanna try to come together and see if you can uh, decide on some, some goals and objectives on what you want your police department to look like. And you're gonna have some radical elements that aren't gonna wanna work together, but I think that uh, good leadership will be successful in bringing everyone together to solve these problems because every department has its own challenges. And that's why you're not going to have 
one strategy that's going to say, well, we're going to have more African-Americans, a more diverse police force. You may have some departments that have majority African-American uh, um, force and still have issues. So and then you may have some that are saying we need training uh, to make sure that conflict mediation, de-escalation takes place. And then you may have some departments that are doing that right. So I think that it's a case by case, city by city uh, situation when it comes to fighting police brutality. Small towns are different than large yeah. cities. Let me uh, Shelby in Township here. Mitchell, shows Mitchell, you that. Let me you know, jump and in. that's that. Let me jump in here for a second. You know, when we're talking about, I, I, we understand that you, you brought up a good point that's, you know, it's going to be city by city. Detroit, by most accounts, has had some peaceful protests over the last two and a half weeks since the George Floyd killing. Um, there's been very little rioting, very, very little uh, looting, if any. Um, has your organization been part of any of the protesting, any of the peaceful protests that have been going on? We have been advising some of the groups. They reach out to us. We have not physically been present due to COVID-19. Uh, our spokesperson lost four family members in 40 days wow. to the virus. I contracted the virus and had it for a month. Um, our president has been under the weather. So we made a conscious decision to protect our members. But what we have been doing is we've been advising some leaders of the protests when they call on some of what to ask for and how to conduct themselves. And the other thing we've been doing, Mike, is we've been working with actual parents and people in the community, having them have uh, speak outs in their backyards in, in, involving groups of no less than 15. And that gives our young people a chance to talk about the issue and to come up with some solutions. So it's not just um, to answer your question in a short note, we have not been at the protest. We have been advising groups and we have been uh, setting up meetings to make sure that our neighborhoods are addressing this. So what about the, the you know, where does your organization stand with the city leaders? I know that there was a sit down with the mayor and the police chief um, or people or representatives from those departments with the people who are allegedly running these protests last week. Um, was your organization part of that? Do you, does your organization have a seat at the table? Are you meeting regularly with city leaders? We don't, we don't meet with the chief and, and the mayor because their position is quite clear. Uh, we don't think that they have done a very good job of serving us. We don't think that uh, they meet the demands of any of the activist groups that are meeting there. We think that they fold them in into their greater PR scheme. So now we're not interested in uh, sitting down with them because they are proven based upon their inability to have more African-Americans on the force, their refusal to pull facial recognition technology off the table and their uh, refusal to have uh, transparency and crime reporting. At this point, the best thing to do is to educate the community and, and let them be aware of what's going on because sitting, meeting with them at this point they, they have proven that they're not going to listen to the demands of the activists. They're going to circumvent them and go directly to uh, neighborhood block clubs and give them trinkets and things like that to keep them satisfied. That's just strategy. You know, we can't be so angry at them about that because that's just strategy. They're trying to 
uh, uh, push a false narrative. We're trying to get some fairness and justice and equity of our tax dollars. Why is your organization against Project Greenlight? I took a tour of it in Detroit headquarters, police headquarters, safety building uh, a couple of years ago. Um, putting up green lights, lots of cameras, lots of lights, keeping the businesses lit up. Um, the mayor and the, and the chief were very, very excited about that project. I'm curious why your organization is against it. Well, because um, we haven't seen the result. We haven't seen where they have actually improved crime. Uh, the transparency. And then there was a use of facial recognition technology that the public was not aware of. And the way that they did that, and it was years before it finally came out that they were using facial recognition technology. So it's it's it should be a deterrent to crime. But if you can't provide or produce any numbers that show that it's working, then on the face, we can't be supportive of it. In, in facial recognition, the, con the concern is that it, it, it doesn't work, especially with uh, African-Americans. I mean, the, the results have proven that facial recognition uh, falters, uh, especially with uh, uh, African-Americans. Yes. And see, we have to have proven strategies that don't further criminalize African-Americans. And if something's not working, then you pull it. You get the bugs out of it. That's what I would do. But when the rest of the country is moving away from this, they're actually doubling down, which is really interesting that a city that's as black as Detroit, that is known for being a gold standard for police, community policing and reform, would not listen to the neighborhood and know that you have faulty equipment and a faulty system and continue to run it. And that's why we say, if you're at this point where the evidence is shown and research is shown and scholars and experts have said that this doesn't work, why are you even still using it? Why are you uh, entertaining meetings with activists when you're only going to do what you're going to do? You were saying that uh, um, you were concerned somewhat about the police chief talking about in the initial days after George Floyd's death, uh, that they came out and said that uh, this is not Detroiters, this is suburbanites, or maybe even people from out of state that are that are here that are causing problems. Um, did you see that differently, or uh, they had some? No, they had statistics. They presented statistics that said, I think uh, I don't know if it was forty percent or sixty percent of the people uh, who had uh, uh, been arrested or ticketed were were not from the city of Detroit. Our concern is injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, as Dr. Martin Luther King said. And once you start saying outsiders. Uh, people who are fighting for justice should be welcome to fight wherever the injustice is taking place. In Shelby Township, you have an issue with the police chief and his tweets. People from Detroit have a right to go out there and, and call for his resignation and call for reforms in the Shelby Township Police Department simply because people from Detroit work in Shelby Township and Sterling Heights and Utica. And whites that live outside the city of Detroit come downtown to Tiger Games and, and Lion Games and Piston Games, and they come downtown just to walk along the river. So when we start to set up this division of, of city versus suburbs, uh, a couple of problems with that, really what they're saying is white people from outside the city are coming in here tearing up the city. Well, they need to just say that. 
and not play around. Because if you really talk about city versus suburbs, Southfield is black, Pontiac is black, um, you have Farmington Hills, you have a lot of suburban communities that have a lot of African-Americans. So why don't they just say what, how they really feel and just say that whites are coming in and trying to tear up the city? We'll just say that. But that's that's not necessarily the case, because if you take a look at Washington, D.C. and Seattle and other cities and then take a look at Detroit, you can argue that 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 they're not coming down here to tear up the city because if people are going to tear it up. It would have already been tore up by now. So the issue is that it's a divisive strategy. And if I'm a city leader or a public official, I'm trying to bring everybody together because. When the police um, do something to you, rather it's in Royal Oak, rather it's in Detroit, rather it's in Shelby Township, Ypsilanti, it's police brutality. So injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And that's why Dr. King traveled across the entire country. He didn't just stay in his part of the nation. He went to Chicago. He went to Gross Point. He went all over the country. He was stabbed. Uh, in New York, he went all, and shot in Memphis and assassinated. So he's been all over the country because where there's injustice, you go and you fight it. The Shelby chief got to keep his job. Did you see that, Mike? Uh, he's going to be suspended for uh, 30 days, get some training, but he's going to keep his job. But uh, I don't know, Chris, if you saw that yet or how you feel about that. I don't think that's the right decision. And if you notice what the um, township supervisor said was, we're not going to let these outsiders tell us how to address our affairs in our city. So the same argument that Detroit was using to stop suburbanites uh, from protesting is the same exact argument that Shelby Township used to uh, support their decision to keep a chief on board that should have been fired. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a major controversy. been following it on Facebook. Uh, you know, we, we, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a surprising one that he got 30 days, but, uh, you know, more on that later. Let's talk about Atlanta, Rayshard Brooks. I was listening to some podcasts this morning about that case. I want your opinion. There's some controversy, you know, it feels like most people are thinking that the police could have done something different. And then there's people who are saying, this is a guy who punched an officer. He fought the arrest. He had a warrant out for it, for his arrest. Uh, at a prior something, he grabbed the taser, he's fleeing, he turns around to tase a cop. What were the cops supposed to do? And I'm just curious what your take, I'm not giving an opinion, I'm asking what your take is on that. I think there are several methods of de-escalation that they could use. I don't think that anyone, I think they should have proper training on how to subdue someone if necessary. And then uh, uh, is there body cam footage that shows all this taking place? Um, and that's the thing. And I think that it's an issue of training. And if there's an issue, then uh, the police should be trained to subdue someone without having to take their life. I mean, that should be the absolute last alternative. And in Atlanta, that seems to be a problem. That seems to be the first approach. And we have to really do something about that. And I'm from Detroit, and I don't mind going down there and helping them fix their problem, of course, unless they're going to call us outside. Right. So let me ask you, in Detroit, say something positive about the police. What have they been doing good? Um, well, 
I it's kind of difficult for me to say that. I think less shootings, no shootings of uh, people. I think that that's a positive. I think that that's a positive. But I think what happens is you find yourself um, rating the police department based upon shootings and use of force. And you can't just do that. You have to take a look at, are they getting the job done? And I don't really think they're doing a, a satisfactory job of solving crime. And I think that's what we need to look at. I've never heard this really until the George Floyd murder, but there's been lots of people talking about defunding the police coming from Black Lives Matter organizations and other organizations. And is that something that you've been talking about for a long time here in Detroit or, and I'm just hearing about it for the first time? Well, what we're talking about is a reprioritizing of the budget. We think the word defund scares the heck out of people. Because when you say defund in the general sense of accounting, that means take all the money away, which means that you'll be paying these officers unemployment because they won't be working. Also, you'll have a lot of equipment, police cars and stuff that won't be used. So what we're talking about is a reprioritizing of the budget. And I think that sometimes uh, activist groups can use a word or pressure groups can use a word and what it can do, it can have an adverse effect on what you're trying, the message you're trying to get out. So the, the word defund uh, in a city like Detroit, it's not going to work because of the high crime rate that we have. So when you say defund, the first thing people think is abolish. We're not talking about abolish the police department. We're talking about uh, reprioritizing the budget. And that's the challenge that we have in Detroit. Are we getting what we pay for? So in Detroit, we may not necessarily say abolish the police department. But what we're saying is, what are you getting? How much are you paying? How much uh, uh, of the money is being used in policing? Is the crime rate going down? Is the data uh, accurate? And are we getting what we paid for? So we would like to see uh, money go towards uh, programs and things like that. More money going towards the health department. Look what happened with the coronavirus. Even though, you know, that's a national failure of leadership, we could have been better prepared in the city to address it, but the health department is pretty much gutted. More money should go into programs like the health department and things of that nature as opposed to policing. But as far as defund and eliminate and abolish, Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality is not anti-police. We're anti-police brutality. Got it. If people are watching this and they want to follow your organization, help your organization, volunteer, donate, whatever, what's the best pay place for people to, to learn more? You can contact us at 313-778-4993. We also have a, a Facebook page a Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality from the war zones to the peace zones. You can uh, become a member there and we will be in contact with you immediately to uh, get involved in dealing with the many issues that we face and not just police brutality, but also um, conflict mediation. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on today. And as new things happen and as newer, new, um, things come up in Detroit, we'd love to have you back on, maybe in our studio, which 
should be opening up in the very near future. And uh, we'd love to sit down and talk some more with you. Okay, I want to thank you all for having me. I want you all to stay safe, stay strong, and continue to fight and continue the good work that you're doing. And it's through our uh, allies and partnerships that we will make this a better city, region, and country. Okay, thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. Well, that was an interesting conversation with Chris White, the director of the Detroit Coalition Against Police Brutality, spending a lot of time, a lot of energy, trying to get the message out, it sounds like, trying to educate Detroiters on what they think could be different about the Detroit Police Department. Yeah, there's a lot of work that has to be done, and we need to hear from as many voices as possible so that we get this right. We don't want to just uh, have all of this go on and then not uh, solve the problems at the at the core of this. So, yeah, it's great to hear great to hear his voice and and, and all voices. So, thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic Home Edition. Uh, we appreciate it. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast channel, share, like it, comment on it, share it with your friends, and we'll see you on the next episode of Open Mic. Stay safe out there. You never know who you're going to see. I beat one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. It's timing. It's right for time. the clinching goal to bring the trophy back. What you're going to hear. we got a lot of desperate people in the city. They're desperate because they don't have opportunity. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime, show them things they wouldn't normally see. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts.